All right. Good morning. I hope that uh, you enjoyed worshiping with that music as much as I did. I was the one that uh, made that playlist yesterday, and so yesterday afternoon I I worshiped while I was putting that up, uh, and then I worshiped some more as I was listening to um, some more worship music. This morning I got up and listened to a whole bunch of of worship music, uh, and it's just been really really nice um, to to listen to worship to praise the Lord. Uh, and I want to give a special thanks to Richard Dickey this morning. Uh, he and I have ironed out quite a few bugs here. Uh, you, you wouldn't know it. You may not realize it, uh, how much uh, it goes. And this is a fairly low production uh, setup, but uh, he has actually done a lot to help, um, especially in the area of lighting. I, I have, uh, uh, we had some lighting issues. Uh, and right now, I may not be able to read my notes because I've got four light bulbs glaring right in my eyes. Uh, but it's great. It's great. It's good to, uh, it's good to be, um, to be lit up by the Lord for the Lord this morning. Let's bow our head and worship for with our our congregational prayer. This morning's congregational prayer was written by Dale Morrill. Let's pray. Christ has risen. Christ has risen. Thank you, Lord, for loving the world which you created so much that you gave your one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you for sending Jesus, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him, for creating a promise of hope and peace. May it cause us to obey your commands and bring glory to you. May we be your hands, your feet, and voice in times of need and joy. Now, in this day, with the aid of the great helper, the Holy Spirit, help us tell everyone of your great love, let us demonstrate this love in all that we do. Reduce our judgmental spirit and give us your gift of compassion and of helps. Let our joy be an expression that draws others to want to know you more. May we be a source for them to find out. Let us give thanks, for you are the source of that joy. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Use your mighty power to heal those in need. Bring them to a fullness and peace only you can give. Calm the discomfort caused. Settle the anxiety created. Send the balm that is needed. With the present crisis situation, Lord, kill the virus if it be your will. Protect us as we go through the trial. Have the Holy Spirit speak to each of us. Prod us to do what we can, what we can to encourage others. Lift our spirit so that we want to seek you more. Keep us safe as we do our part. Christ is risen. He is alive. He is present with us. He guides. He is our strength. He is the lifeline to the Father. Rest in Him. Learn more about Him. Bless His name. Jesus, Savior, Redeemer, and Friend. Amen. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, and Lord, help us as we read your word. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and that's John, by the way. He didn't name himself uh, in this 
but he did say that he was the one that Jesus loved. That's a great way to, to know ourselves. We are the ones that Jesus loves. All right. She said, she, Mary Magdalene, said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the, uh, the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped in and looked. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. And I'm actually going to stop there. There's a whole lot more to be taught from that passage, but I really just want to stop there, and I want to talk this morning, uh, especially about Peter and Mary. Um, the, the lives of the followers of Jesus, to me, read almost like a Charles Dickens novel. Uh, in Charles Dickens' novels, he, he wrote during a time when England, uh, but especially London, was uh, at a very low place. So there may have been a lot of prosperity, but there was also a lot of poverty, and there was a lot of pollution. In fact, the, the little boys who were turned into chimney sweeps, their, their life expectancy was very short because here they are in these chimneys just uh, breathing in the soot all the time. Uh, remember Mary Poppins? You remember what the chimney sweeps looked like, uh, how they were just, uh, they were in carcinogens all the time, all, all day long. Um, there were a lot of orphans in those days, and everybody was sort of born into, in one of Charles Dickens' novels, uh, everybody was sort of born into hardship. Everybody was born into hardship. They were born either as orphans or became orphans soon afterwards, or they were born into poverty, and life was difficult for them. But then, well, and they were acquainted with the seedy side of life. If you think about Oliver Twist, um, his great step forward was joining a gang and becoming a pickpocket and, and taking, a taking on a life of crime. Um, so many people, there's nowhere else for them to turn, so they, they turn to the underbelly of society, uh, to, uh, to the black markets, uh, whatever it is, to try to, to try to lot, to try to live, to try to survive. And then, at some point in a Dickens novel, um, hope appears. Maybe somebody's going to adopt you, or, or maybe there's some sort of a benefactor. You know, in, in Great Expectations, um, Pip gets apprenticed, and, and then uh, he's, 
uh, he, he, he is informed that a, an anonymous benefactor is going to change his life. Everything is going to be good for him, and he's going, to become, he's going to rise out of poverty and become a gentleman even. Hope is given, and there's a lot of optimism, and um, there's a sort of a shunning of the old life, and they're going to step forward. Things are going to turn out for good for me. But then after that, all hopes are dashed. The, the adoption doesn't happen. The, the marriage doesn't happen. The, the benefactor is revealed to be a scoundrel or whatever it is. Uh, the hope is sort of dashed and taken away and the protagonist will enter this very, very low, low point. And then at the end, and then at the end, things turn around. And all of a sudden, um, there is new hope. There's a new benefactor or, or a new coming into to, to money or a, a new way of living or an adoption that actually does happen. Somebody takes somebody in, something like that. Uh, they don't just end on a terrible note. They end on a good note uh, because the catastrophe has changed. It becomes untrue, and it becomes what they call the you catastrophe, where everything that I feared, everything that was going to be terrible, everything that was going to destroy me now is untrue, and I have hope going forward. The terrible thing that was going to destroy me is now untrue. It's not going to destroy me. And the hope that I had been believing in, resting in, leaning on is actually going to be there. And in the lives of a couple of people who followed Jesus, we see the same kind of thing happening. Uh, if we just talk about Mary Magdalene for a second, she was born into what? We don't really know a whole lot about her background. All we know is that she uh, had had seven demons in her and Jesus cast them out. And I, I don't know if there's a real consensus on just exactly how somebody becomes demon-possessed, but can you imagine what she must have been acquainted with? The paganism, the abuse, uh, the human trafficking? What, what is it? What happened to her in her life that exposed her opened her up, not just her body, but her soul, exposed her so to the, the darkest parts of, um, of not just the physical realm, but the spiritual realm too. What happened to her? I would like to know more, but the Bible doesn't really tell us more. It just tell us, tells us what the end result of all of that terrible, terrible baggage she had was. She was possessed by many demons. She was obviously uh, acquainted with the worst part of society, um, the, the darkness of the evil realm being that worst part of society. Who knows what happened to her? Who knows what she endured? Who knows um, how she was taken advantage of and how she was treated? Uh, but it was bad. It was bad. And then think about Peter. Peter himself seems to be, uh, he, he certainly didn't come from such a bad background. He wasn't demon-possessed, um, but he wasn't part of the uh, the powers that be. He wasn't part of the intelligentsia or anything. He was just one of the common people, just one of the common people. Shortly after he started following Jesus, he started hanging out with, with sinners. Uh, he started hanging out with reprobates. He started hanging out with people uh, that society had shunned. And so he got acquainted with, he got acquainted with the underbelly of society um, because of Jesus, because he followed Jesus. And then for both Mary Magdalene and Peter, there was, um, there was this hope given. For, Mar for Mary Magdalene, uh, it was healing, casting out of the demons. All of a sudden, she had a clear mind again. 
all of a sudden her soul and her body and her mind and her heart could all start healing and she could start becoming a, a stable person again. She, uh, she was then part of a, a group of people, part of a new family, the disciples who followed Jesus, people who treated her properly. Uh, and, and of course, Jesus was the center of that new sort of family life that she had. And so all of a sudden she had a place, she had dignity, uh, people treated her well, people spoke to her well, people called her by name, uh, and, and Jesus there is the one who brought about all of that hope for her and for Peter, um, for somebody who may have been passed over uh, for uh, discipleship or for being a rabbi, or for being a leader of a synagogue, for being somebody important uh, in religious life. Um, Jesus also has given him a calling. He's given him a, a greater calling. There's nothing wrong with fishing. There's nothing wrong with being a fisherman. Uh, it's a part of the, the whole state economy here in Maine, being a fisherman, being a lobsterman. There's nothing undignified about it at all. Um, but Jesus came along and gave him a higher calling. Um, and for any believer, any believer, I, I want you to keep your day job. You know, I'm not saying nobody, don't don't keep your day job. You got to have your day job. Your day job's important. Even lobstering is important. Uh, fishing is important. Food production is important. But Jesus comes along and he says, there's also a higher calling. There's a there's another thing I want you to do. Uh, even if Jesus hadn't asked Peter to stop fishing, uh, Peter could certainly, for the rest of his life, share the gospel, been part of, of, of the life of a vibrant synagogue um, because he knew Jesus, because Jesus had, had given him this other thing. Fish aren't the most important thing. And of course, Peter knew that. Every, every Jewish person knew that, that their trade was how they made their livelihood. But the Torah, the law, the word of God, that is how you make a life. And so for Mary Magdalene and Peter, after they have been introduced to Jesus, hope starts soaring. Hope starts soaring because uh, not only is uh, he their rabbi, not only is he pushing them to a higher calling, not only is he righting all the wrongs in their past and healing everything that uh, has gone wrong in their life before, but he, he's going to do that for everybody. He's going to do that for the whole world. He's going to do that, especially, they probably weren't thinking globally, but for the whole nation of Israel, he was going to do that for everybody. What they had experienced, everyone was going to experience. How they had been healed, everyone was going to be healed. How he had confronted corruption, all corruption was going to be uh, confronted. And how he had become a th the authority in their life, he was going to be the authority over the whole land of Israel, the whole life of Israel. And of course, they weren't thinking globally, but but globally too, he was going to become the authority. There was no limit to the proper elevation of Jesus Christ. They could elevate him as high as they wanted in their minds uh, and in their hearts, and they should, and there's nothing wrong with it. Sometimes we put we elevate people too highly. Sometimes we take uh, something and we put it in in the place of a hope that it's that's too high. That thing cannot give you that much hope. That thing cannot give you that much salvation. Whatever it is that you're hoping for, if it's not Jesus, it's going to fall short. It's not going to save you like you thought it was. Um, but for Peter and Mary Magdalene, uh, they couldn't elevate Jesus too high. They cannot elevate the kingdom of God too high. The message, the gospel message that he's preaching, they cannot uh, elevate it too high. It is the hope. It is the great hope that all of Torah, all the Old Testament, all of history, all of God's prophets, all of God's priests, all of temple worship and duty, all of that has been pointing to. It is Jesus. And then, 
And then, just like a Dickens novel, hope is dashed. Hope is dashed. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday. Jesus comes marching into Jerusalem. He comes um, confronting the powers that be. He comes into the temple to cleanse the temple culture because everybody understood. I think everybody knew from the reading that I've done, from the research that I've done, everybody was looking for the Messiah to um, clean up the temple culture. Everybody knew that there was some corruption in it, and that's what they wanted. And Jesus went in and he did that. He did that straightway. Uh, And he confronted the powers that be, and, and he taught, and he had a great following. And then it was all dashed to pieces because at the end of the week, instead of overthrowing uh, Caiaphas, instead of overthrowing Pilate, instead of overthrowing Herod the Great, they seemingly overthrew him. They got rid of him. The powers that be would stay being. And all the corruption was not going to be taken away. And all of the sin and all of the wrong ideas and all of the false teaching were going to persist. And all of the healing and all the growth in their own lives and the high calling that Jesus had called them to in their own lives all of a sudden is now in question. What's going to happen now? Was that all for nothing? Was that all meaningless now? What's going on here? And not only that, but for them, their lives could now be in danger. They came after Jesus, and now what will become of the rest of us? All the rest of us, we're in danger too. I don't know why they didn't arrest us when they arrested him, but uh, actually the Bible uh, indicates that Jesus said, uh, you arrest me, you don't arrest them. And he was so sovereign over that situation that they said, yes, sir. Um, but now that he's gone, they feared that they would be next. Things are getting lower and lower and lower. Not only was uh, the healing meaningless, the calling is meaningless. Now my life could be snuffed out as well. That's a low point, folks. And then all of a sudden, things change. How did things change? The thing that was so true, the, the event that happened two days ago that changed your life for the worst, Mary and Peter, is all of a sudden about to become untrue. And you're about to go back, not, not to the point where how great it was on Thursday, not how great it was on Wednesday, not how great it was last Sunday. You are about to, with your love and affection, devotion and worship of Jesus, you're about to reach a new height, a height that you never thought you could uh, reach. His life is about to give you meaning, more meaning than you ever thought it could give. His life is about to give you more healing and hope, more hope and healing that you, that, than you ever thought you could have. He's about to give you a high calling, a calling so high you never thought you'd be part of such a high calling. Um, for Mary, uh, she becomes this devoted follower and, 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 and proclaims the gospel along with everyone else. Peter even rises to the point uh, where he's the leader of this group of disciples that just explodes all over Jerusalem and then all over Israel, and he ends up writing Scripture uh, on down the road. Never thought, never thought he would ever reach those heights. He got so low. How in the world could it possibly now get so high? 
but it can. And that is what Jesus does. And so for all of us in our lives, um, you've been born. You've been born with, uh, with things to overcome. You've been born with sin in your life. Sin that, quite honestly, you don't know where it comes from, uh, but it's in there, and you've always been this way. Um, and, and, it, it, and it's even hereditary. You know, I've seen things in me, uh, and I've seen El- things in Elliot that I say, yeah, I recognize that. I know exactly what he's feeling. Um, and it just, <laughs> what's terrible is that he's a toddler. I should have grown out of this by now. I have not. There are things that I have to overcome. There are things that you have to overcome. There are attitudes that I have to push out of my life. And you may have gone through oh, so much more than I have. You may have, you may have sin to overcome. You may have not only that, but bad attitudes to overcome. You may have poverty and sickness, disadvantage, disability, all of those things to overcome. And I think about not only just in our regular life, but here we are now in quarantine because of coronavirus. And in this, you've got things that make you fearful. You've got things that make you vulnerable. You you may have uh, pre-existing conditions. Uh, you may have bad lungs to begin with, and then this thing comes along and puts you at real risk, at, at real vulnerability. Uh, you may have uh, poverty now because you've lost your job. You may have had poverty before, and now you've really got it. You've got it twice over now. You may have had loneliness before, but the loneliness has been increased now um, because, um, because we've been asked to stay at home. All these things that we're born into or that are are a pre-existing condition when a new hardship all of a sudden comes along. And you know what? Uh, We've all been somewhat acquainted with the seedy side, the underbelly of society that brought us even lower. You know, we were born with problems and these other problems just bring us lower. Um, You may have, uh, you may have, you have sin in your life. That's all there is to it. And, um, the funny thing, when I was thinking about this, um, you, when you think about a Dickens novel or you think about, uh, I've been reading Pride and Prejudice too, uh, there is low-class sin, there's middle-class sin, and there's high-class sin, and it's all sin. And it all causes, it all causes problems. It all causes hurt. And in it, there is this sort of fear and envy and insecurity and this desire to hurt others before we ourselves get hurt. It's all in there, no matter who you are, no matter what strata of society you think you may think that you come from. It's in there, and um, as it pertains to uh, the quarantine time here, there's an ugliness that comes out. There's an ugliness that comes out in in the selfish hoarding, uh, in the anger, and in the suspicion of others, uh, suspicion of everything that you're hearing in the media. Um, it really does. It really can bring out the worst in us when we have uh, times of stress like what we're having now. But then, there's hope. Hope comes along. Hope comes along, and in your life, in your whole life, um, that hope might have been Jesus. And I hope it is Jesus. But it might have been a person, or it might have been a job, or it might have been a change of circumstance, moving from one place to another. Whatever it was, whatever it was, and I hope it's Jesus. I hope it's Jesus that is you. Everything else will fail you. Uh, even, even church will fail you. A job can fail you. A person certainly will fail you at some point. 
Um, but there's this hope that comes along, and this thing gives you optimism about the future, and it makes you feel like, hey, you know what? I'm going to make it. Things are going to be better for me. In the quarantine time here, I, I think about it coming along as just every every couple of weeks we hear, well, just a couple of more weeks, just a couple of more weeks, and we have this sort of optimism, this hope of it's going to be over soon. It's going to be over. It's going to be over by Easter, or it's going to be over by April 30th, or it's going to be over blah, 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 blah. But the fact is, we live in times of terrible uncertainty. And if Jesus isn't our hope, every other hope will fail us. Every other hope will fail us. And the, the terrible thing for Mary and Peter was that at a certain point, they thought Jesus had failed them. They thought Jesus had failed them. And the, the fact is, for you, in your Christian life, at some point, I have no doubt you're going to say, Jesus, you failed me. I wanted something. You were going to do something for me. You were going to provide some kind of hope for me. You were going to provide some kind of redemption for me. You were going to make things turn out differently for me. And where is it? I don't see it. Jesus, you failed me. That's going to be the temptation. That's going to be the, the point where uh, you are pushed up against a wall and you'll see just how much faith do you have to live on. And you'll be tempted to walk away from Jesus. And when that new low happens, that low that comes after hope, when that comes, you'll be devastated. You'll be devastated. You'll have a spiritual crisis where it looks like Jesus is not going to be enough or it looks like Jesus is not going to heal or Jesus is not going to provide or Jesus is not going to give you the calling or the success or whatever it was. You'll feel that lowness. And if your hope is not in Jesus, well, a sickness is going to come along. A divorce is going to come along. Death of a loved one is going to come along. Loss of a job, loss of income, uh, a different kind of poverty than, uh, or something like that is going to come along and you'll reach this new low. In our quarantine time, um, you may have hope that things are about to change. You may have things, hope that things are about to be different. You may have hope that it's all going to be over soon and then all of a sudden a, another spike in, in deaths, a, a new rise in death toll. Maybe you'll actually know somebody who dies, or maybe you'll know somebody who has uh, who has the virus, or maybe um, your your job restarting your job will be delayed even further. Um, maybe the vocation that the vacation that you have will have to be canceled. Uh, maybe it'll be a, yet another Sunday where we can't worship together. And uh, extroverts have already had enough of the, the isolation, and introverts uh, are I think are, are at the their uh, end of their rope as well. When there's just no end in sight, when, say, a wedding date has to be moved, my sister-in-law, uh, she and her fiancé, they have had to push back their wedding date uh, because of this. We had to push back a, um, a vacation because of this. Peter Del Gallo lost a chance at the championship, the national championship, the NCAA national championship in wrestling because of this. And we hit these new lows every time we realize another way that we've been affected by this thing. And we'll often just, we'll reach this new low, we'll, we'll get to uh, an, an, an even lower despair, and we'll start to lose even more faith. But in, in life, and I want to, um, I, and I don't know where you are this morning in, in all this sort of cycle of, of having hope and then losing hope, having hope, losing hope. Um, 
if you are at a place where you have hope, I celebrate with you. I'm very glad. Um, but if you're at a place where it's low, um, I want to tell you to hang on because with the Lord, hope is always around the corner. Um, suddenly, things change. Suddenly, spring arrives. And I wrote that down <laughs> before this new batch of snow came down. How terrible to think that spring is here. How terrible to think that, hey, I can go out and start doing some lawn work, which I did. And then it all got covered up by a very wet, heavy snow. But that's kind of the way it happens. But hope always returns. When you're in Christ, hope always returns. Things change. Spring does arrive. Summer does arise, um, ar- arrive. Um, and you, it, you adjust emotionally to the loss of a loved one, the loss of a friend. Um, babies are born. And you make a new friend. And then you get a glimpse of Jesus too. If you're in Christ, um, you get a glimpse of Jesus. Worship actually happens again, even in isolation. And I promise you, someday this whole thing will be over. Maybe surprisingly over. Um, if, if they find a, uh, a medication cocktail or whatever that works and nobody's in danger anymore. Or if a vaccine is made... It's over. Everybody can kind of go back to normal. More than likely, it won't happen, but but who knows? Surprisingly, this could all just be over one day. But I promise you, one day, that there will be worship in that sanctuary again with lots of people there, filled up. Probably have to bring in a whole lot of new chairs. Probably have to buy some new chairs. Maybe even have to have two services uh, when we start coming back for a few for a few weeks. I don't know. One day things will be better, even if you aren't expecting it, even if you aren't hopeful, even if you're at this low moment where you say, no, it will never be good again. I promise you, surprisingly, one day it'll all be over. So stay optimistic. Expect it. Because one day the greatest thing will happen. We'll see Jesus face to face, just like Mary and Peter did. So stay hopeful. Stay optimistic. One of these days we'll turn around and he'll just be there and we'll say, oh my goodness, I'm not living on faith anymore. I'm living in trust, but I'm living by sight because I know, I see, I can grab onto and I never have to let go. The dark days will all of a sudden end one day. Life will begin again. In fact, eternal life will begin for us one day. So expect to be surprised by Jesus. But remember, Sometimes things have to get low right before that great high of worship. So stay faithful. Keep believing. And while you're at a low place, please believe the testimony of those that you hear who have had a glimpse of Jesus. They've had hope renewed. Something good is happening for them because Jesus is working in your life too. Their testimony will sustain you during the difficult times until your test becomes that testimony as well. Okay? It won't be it won't be dark forever. It won't be lonely forever. We won't be sick forever. One of these days we will experience that resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that it offers. We thank you for the testimony of people who went through very difficult times, who were given hope, whose hope was dashed to pieces, and then whose hope 
rose to a level they never thought possible before. We thank you for their testimony. We thank you for their life. And we pray that you will remind us when we start to lose hope that we do have such great hope and reason for optimism in you. Help us today, Lord, to express our optimism to you in prayer. Lord, connect with us. Help us to feel your presence. Help us to get a glimpse of your glory. And help us to find a way to celebrate today and connect with other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy Easter, folks. I love you, and I'll see you next week. Bye.